Good morning, Wisconsin. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's WTMJ Now. News, opinions, Wisconsin. Everything you need to know in the Badger State and beyond. Come give us your thoughts on the WTMJ Talk and Text Line at 855-616-1620. Here's your host, Steve Scafidi. And good morning, everybody. Happy Thursday. Boy, this week is flying by. 9.08 start time. Somebody got a memo. Man, that's a, we don't usually start till about 10 after. Somebody got a memo. I'm just teasing my uh, my friends on the morning show. All right. I'm going to play a, a, a short clip for you. I want you to think about it for about an hour. Let it stew in your brain. Listen to the, to the words of CBS reporter Scott McFarland and digest what he's saying. I've got a bunch of interviews that we're going to get to in the next hour, but at 10 o'clock, we'll, we'll sort of chew this one over in the context of where we're at in the, the state of politics. But listen to this. If you don't know, Scott McFarland is a reporter who's been extensively covering the January 6th trials and cases. Uh, listen to what he has to say. Hey, it's Scott McFarland in Washington. If you've ever sat through a two-plus-hour movie or class or conference, you have some sense of how long that can feel sometimes. For January 6th defendant Carl Cheswick today, it was a two-plus-hour sentencing hearing. He had to sit in that chair for two hours before finally learning his punishment, learning his fate. Cheswick was then a Chicago police officer on January 6th, convicted at trial, learning his fate today. The judge throughout the course of this hearing, Judge Anna Reyes made clear she was going to show leniency. St. Cheswick was only amid the mob here for eight minutes, was nonviolent, had no criminal history, and she didn't feel inclined to send him to prison. And she did show leniency. Three months home detention, three years probation, and restrictions on firearms possession, which may very much complicate his efforts to get back into police work. But it wasn't the sentence, nor the length. It was what Judge Reyes said at the end that resonated so much in the room today. She uncorked an unbridled denunciation of January 6th, sometimes in an elevated voice, warning of the risks of democracy that are ongoing. She told Cheswick, you're of Polish descent. You know what happened to people in Poland during the time of Hitler and Stalin in World War II. She says, that's what happens when democratic guardrails fail. She says, that's what happens when democracies fail. She blistered January 6th defendants who draw parallels between themselves or invoke the words of the Founding Fathers, saying the Founding Fathers would be appalled by January 6th and that anybody who thinks otherwise is, quote, idiotic. And she looked to her right at Cheswick and said, I can't convince you Donald Trump didn't win the 2020 election. But she said anybody who's looked at it for more than two seconds would realize there was no widespread fraud, that 60-plus courts across the country have ruled that. It was striking also what it's like being in that cocoon of a courtroom where nobody can interject with conspiracy theories or baseless claims or spew more false statements. There's no platform for that in the courtroom. There's no positive platform for that in the courtroom. That's so different than so many people's experiences right now in the political sphere. As for Cheswick, he walked out of the courtroom. I asked if he still supports Donald Trump, and he said, yeah, in a big way. Scott McFarland, CBS News. That's it in a nutshell right there. I mean, first of all, producer Charlie mentioned this uh, while we were listening to that. Brilliant storyteller. He has been in the courtroom for almost all of these cases. Watch this stuff unfold, the absurdity of it, the nonsense, the claims. You know, now we have candidates calling these individuals hostages. First of all, look at the definition of the word hostage. 
help yourself out that way. You know, the stupidity that passes for opinion. Yeah, you can have stupid opinions, but don't be afraid to take the heat when someone tells you that's just dumb. Idiotic was the term that the uh, the justice and the judge used there. That's exactly right. What do you think? Think about it for a while. We'll get back to that at, uh, at the 10 o'clock hour. I'm just curious where, where we're at. This is a very important year, 2024. And as much as I point out the nonsense, the uh, nonsense trend or curve, if you want to use that term, is increasing, not decreasing. And uh, the only way to fight that is to point it out. We are scheduled to be joined by another local leader after the break, this time from Fondelac County. We'll see if that happens. I think it's going to. After this on WTMJ Now. I want to grow up to be a politician. All right, if you've been listening to the show, you know I'm on my quest to talk to every local leader in the state of Wisconsin, spanning the state, as it were. And we are going right now to Fond du Lac County to talk to their county executive, Sam Kaufman. Good morning, Sam. Good morning, sir. How are you today? I am wonderful. Now, I don't think we've ever, have we ever talked before? No, I don't think we ever have. I know you've had the pleasure of talking to Mayor Bishop out of Wapan. Yeah, he he frankly gets too much radio time. Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Ryan likes to hear himself talk. He does, but he's so actually he's, he's, a, he's, he's doing a, a nice job. Mayor. He's doing a great he job is. up there. So tell me, for the folks who don't know, and I know where Final Lake County has been through there many times. Tell us about Final Lake County. What do we need to know? That it is to me the greatest county of the entire state. It is just a. Uh, it is a county where we are a blue-collar, agriculture-based uh, county. It's, it's still a atmosphere mentality of, hey, a handshake still means a deal. Uh, we look out for our neighbors. We work hard every day, and family's always first. All right. It is a fantastic county to be. All right, so tell me, the, the big cities in Fond du Lac County, I think I know what they are, but maybe the audience does Yeah, we've got... Uh, city, city of Fond du Lac is mm-hmm. our largest uh, population. Mm-hmm. Then we have the city of Ripon, uh, the village of Campbellsport, the city of Wapan, uh would be the biggest areas. Then we have North Fond du Lac, uh, which is all the village of North Fond du Lac, which also is one of our largest communities. Everybody thinks of, maybe this isn't even the case anymore, Ripon Good Cookies. Is that still a thing? Yeah, no, it's actually not over there. Uh, with the, they, they have sold, but uh, they have Ripon has so many other things going on out there. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been down there, but I highly recommend it. Downtown uh, Ripon is really contemporary study. They have a fantastic microbrewery uh, down there called Canoose, and they've just expanded. And when you go downtown, it it is amazing. Uh, The lights at night on the street, just the storefronts, everything's an amazing place. It's just like Waupon. Waupon has really been changing. Uh, When Mayor Bishop came into office, there were some big changes downtown, and it's the same thing. They are now getting a brewery also downtown. Mm-hmm. Uh, there have been no more retail shops open up. We've got more and more people now walking downtown uh, with their families and shopping, uh, and that's exactly what we need. And, and Mayor Bishop has done a great job down there in Wapak. As a former elected and someone who created a new downtown, downtown revitalization, some of the older communities, that's a big deal for counties and communities across Wisconsin. Oh, absolutely, because, you know, you get these new businesses in there, and obviously there's an increase in the tax base, but it gives you something, you know, to do. And, and I tell you right now, part of the challenge that our county faces, like many counties, is labor, labor shortages. And the idea is this new generation, these younger individuals out there, it's an entirely different mentality, I find. And when I try and recruit and find people to move into the county or even the younger individuals to stay in the county, you know, it's always the same thing. Well, what is there to do? 
And so the mentality has been, we need to create the environment in Fond du Lac County that says to them, hey, we've got what you're looking for. And a lot of what these younger generations are looking for is things to do downtown uh, and a lot of outdoor activities. So parks are a big priority. They're always looking for exercise, biking, hiking trails, things they could take the family to. So we have spent a lot of money in Fond du Lac County renovating all of our county parks. We just rebuilt a, a seven-mile bike trail. You can now go from Fond du Lac to Sheboygan and bike uh, wow. with it. And, you know, so now we're highlighting a lot of what our downtowns are doing, like Wapai, which is a great example of growth. Uh, City of Ripon, uh, you know, we go downtown Fond du Lac. Uh, that is just fantastic now for nightlife down there. A lot of our fastest communities are, that are growing are, like, for example, Village of Campbellsport. Um, that is our, probably our fastest-growing community uh, down there. And a lot of these younger individuals want a family-still type of setup where they know families first, they can do things with their families uh, with it, and they themselves can go out and, and have a good time at night uh, with different types of events and activities. So we, we've got a great county and a lot of the great things going on. That's uh, always a, a great standard is quality of life, and I know that uh, having known a lot of people that live in that area, that, that is certainly the standard there. Talk about the uh, the economic side of things. L- l- highlight some businesses. You're not going to be able to get to all of them. Some large and small businesses sure. in Final Lake County that, that you look at as sort of local leaders on that side of the equation. Yeah, well, Mercury Marine. Uh, we are the world headquarters for Mercury Marine. And they offer right off of 41 is where their plants are located. That is our biggest employer uh, that we have uh, in the county. Uh, Grande Cheese is another large corporation. Who doesn't like cheese here. in Wisconsin? I know. It's Wisconsin. <laughs> if you don't like cheese, you must have moved to Illinois. Or Minnesota. Go to the Bears or something down there. <laughs> right. Or Minnesota, yeah. <laughs> they do sauerkraut there instead. Oh, yeah, yeah, ex- exactly right. <laughs> but, yeah, so we have – and you know what's great about our businesses, our, our major companies, and even our healthcare SSM, uh, we have the hospital here. Freighter is now building here. Aurora is now building here also. So a lot of these uh, businesses have been fantastic partners with the county. I, I created as county executive, I created a naming rights policy. So what we're able to do now, because to me, my view has always been government can't be the answer. They're never going to be the sole answer. And the fact is that we have businesses that are ready to partner with the county. And so by creating that policy, what I've been able to do now is basically say, hey, look, we have this project, for example. Let me give an example of a stage we're building uh, over at our fairgrounds. Uh, there'll be a permanent stage. We were short the money, about $300,000, under the naming rights policy I created. I put out an RFP, request for proposal. National Exchange Bank and Trust and Foundation, one of our largest uh, lending places here, they ponied up $300,000 for the naming rights. We are now covered now without increasing taxes to cover any of those types of activities. Very nice. These businesses are ready to step up. Uh, they, are, they are hungry for this to partner with us, and I will gladly take their money. Because by doing that, our taxpayers don't have to go through uh, and pay extra money for these projects that really need to help our county grow. That's a good uh, definition of a great plan. We're talking to Final Lake County Executive Sam Kaufman. Um, tell me what your day is like. I mean, I, I've, I've talked to local leaders for a long time. I know that everybody every day is different, but walk me through what your day is like. Well, you know, I start out, you know, usually right away having to go through my mass amount of emails I get. Um, and then I have to I work with my assistant to figure out my calendar is going to be rearranging calendars. I usually go through and I'm walking into other committee meetings, staff meetings, 
or uh, some business uh, leader needs to talk to me, I'll go meet with them. Uh, I deal with, you know, head out to the UW campus, uh, and then I talk to staff over there for things. Otherwise, I have 31 departments that I oversee, and I'll have to go through at times and have meetings with department heads, deal with issues that are going on there in a day, uh, or I go through with county board matters that are going on. Uh, that I'll have to meet with our county board chairman, Steve Abel, uh, and talk about things that are coming up on the county board. So basically, my day runs is meeting after meeting after meeting and speaking events uh, for it. So I know today, in fact, uh, probably in another hour, I have to go speak at a foster care conference that's going on in Fond du Lac uh, and that. And, you know, it's just always different groups I'm talking to. So my day just runs from, you know, basically from half hour to an hour every day doing something. Time I turn around and look out the window, it's already dark again now. What would you what would, what would you say your biggest challenges? Well, right now, it's, I have to say it's our labor issue. Uh, like I said, everybody around the state is suffering right now with trying to find a uh, you know sufficient number of, of workers, and we're no exception. Um, this this younger generation, like I said, they're they're moving out of the state, they're moving out of our areas to head other places, especially down south, and we don't have the people here to not only fill some of our county positions that we have, because we have quite a few openings, but our businesses around the county uh, are going through and struggling at times trying to find labor. Um, and that and that's always a concern to me because 10 years from now, what's it going to look like? If you have a drop in the labor uh, market here, how are those businesses going to be able to operate? And then you're, I think what's going to happen is you, see me, you may see a lot of them moving to automation. Uh, because they can't fill those positions. So that's what we're challenged with, is trying to get those people here to, to our motto is live, work, and play in Final Lake County. And so we're trying to get them here to stay, you know, in that, or get them to move into the county. But that's our biggest challenge, is labor right now. Fond du Lac County Executive Sam Kaufman. Pleasure to talk to you. We'll have to get uh, Mayor Ron, myself, and you uh, together for lunch, and we'll make uh, Mayor Ron oh. pay. That would they, that would be good. Believe me, he'll he'll forget his wallet. That won't surprise <laughs> me at all. He'll forget his wallet. I'm pretty sure he's listening. Well, Ron so does he, a great job. Nothing with respect to the work he does in Wapan. He does a fantastic job in the city, in the, uh, the city of Wapan. Uh, pleasure to talk to you. We'll do it again down the road. Hey, sounds good. Thank you, sir. Appreciate your time. Absolutely. Final Act County Executive Sam Kaufman. We're going to do a lot of this in the in the year ahead. As we, it's got to be more than more than more than just politics, but. I understand these are local leaders and politics is part of that, but there's so much more to talk about when you talk about the great state of Wisconsin and beyond. I may even mix in some folks from uh, northern Illinois because I know we have a lot of uh, fans and listeners down there as well. All right, we're going to take a break here. Lots more to get to. I've got uh, Rick Essenberg coming up. Well, we got to talk about Trump trials. Could a president, can a president pardon himself? Interesting question for Rick, the president of the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty. And uh, if you listen to my open, you heard the piece from... CBS reporter Scott McFarland, sort of the state of the affair of the country right now, right? We're wondering what it's going to be in 2024. Who's going to win? Who's the candidates? We've got a pretty good idea. And probably more importantly, can we put an end to the nonsense? I don't think so. But I'm curious what you think. 855-616-1620. If you haven't been to Italy, go. Had a blast in the Tuscany region really last year. Matter of fact, reminds me. Got a bit of a Tuscany uh, trip, travelers reunion at the uh, Bavarian Beer House in Glendale on Friday night at 6. And if anyone's thinking about going with Rose Gray and yours truly on our German grandeur trip, we can answer questions about that as well. I know some folks are showing up to ask questions. So, Or if you just want to meet Rose. I mean, she's, she's fun. She'll even take a selfie with you, I think. 
Uh, you can meet us at the Bavarian Beer House. We're just showing up. We don't have reservations. We don't have a room. We're just showing up. I hear they have live music. Looking forward to it. It's a great venue uh, right, up, right up there on I-43 on the west side of I-43 in, uh, in Glendale. Not too far from Milwaukee downtown. Fun, fun place. So that's this Friday at 6. So if you want to talk to travelers who went on our previous trip or maybe even some of the folks who are going on our German Grand Jour trip in July, and the uh, the expert herself, Rose Gray, Rose Gray from Fox World Travel, will all be there Friday night at 6, this Friday. Uh, real quick, tease for my decision, Wisconsin. So every week on our website, WTMJ.com, or wherever you get your podcast or podcast page, certainly. I do two brand-new Decision Wisconsin podcasts, and this week, earlier this week, I talked to Jake Curtis, local attorney, who was a uh, advocate for Ron DeSantis. Well, as we know, he dropped out of the race, so we spent a lot of that podcast uh, earlier this week talking about what happens next. So that's available already, and as soon as this morning, the next one's going to drop. We talked yesterday, and we'll publish it today, with Ben Wickler, the chair of the Wisconsin Wisconsin's Democratic Party, on all things state of the race, uh, we'll talk a little bit about the governor's state of the state address, challenges ahead in 2024. It's the Decision Wisconsin podcast, and I'm going to do these all throughout 2024. So as you can imagine, we'll, at some point we'll have candidates coming through Milwaukee, obviously the convention's here to talk about, the countdown to the RNC, all available wherever you get your podcasts or at WTMJ.com. I, they're worth a listen. Unplugged, no commercials, very quick, 18 to 20 minutes. Great information so you could be the most informed voter you could possibly be. After the break, my friend Rick Essenberg from the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty, legal scholar, legal expert, and lots to talk about. Trump trials. Can the president pardon himself? We'll ask Rick that question and more after this. Producer Charlie just mentioned that the uh, podcast, latest edition of the Decision Wisconsin podcast with Ben Wickler, chair of the Wisconsin Democratic Party, is now up at WTMG.com. Just find our podcast page. And there's a lot of other links you can find throughout our website, but that's the easiest place to find it. And as I said, it's it's a, a quick listen, uninterrupted, no commercials, right on, on point, on target, on focus of the election and all the related stories that have to do with the uh, the presidential election in 2024. And sometimes more than that, we added the piece with Ben uh, on the state of the state, which the governor, governor delivered uh, a couple nights ago. Uh, we're on. We're gonna on uh, wait here for Rick Essenberg, the president of Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty. Lots to talk about. So some of the questions swirling around this race are the legal questions related to Donald Trump. Now, the spectrum of public opinion is this is all a witch hunt to lock him up. That's you know, that's the easy way to look at it. That's the broad perspective of the American public. Love him, hate him. Leave them alone, lock them up. That's it. But there's a lot of legal questions. There's challenges to the ballot. There's certainly election interference uh, cases. There's certainly a document one, which, is, as I think Rick has said before on the program, that is the most likely, most likely case to result in a conviction. Yeah, again, you never know. Maybe there's a jury in Florida that's sympathetic to the former president. You never know with these things. And... If, unless something amazing happens or incredible happens, the race is set up to be Donald Trump versus Joe Biden, basically 2.0, a re, rehash, rematch of 2020. So when we're thinking about this race from that perspective, it, it is all part of the story, the same story. 
as much as some people want us to just forget about January 6th and forget about all these cases, they're not going to go away. They will be prosecuted, there'll be trials, and there may, may or may not be convictions. All right, joining us on the full nine, my friend Rick Esselberg, president of the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty. Good morning, Rick. Good morning, Steve. How are you? I am wonderful on this Thursday. Let's start with this one. A lot of people have been asking this question lately, and I think I've asked you this before, but I, I guess there's a couple ways we can look at this. If Donald Trump is the nominee, if Donald Trump wins the election in November, can he come into office next January and essentially say, I don't care what you convicted me of, I'm pardoning myself? Is that a real thing? It's a real thing. I mean, we don't, we can't know for sure whether it will work because we don't have any instance in history where that has happened. But there are you know, people who argue that the presidential pardon is unlimited and the president could pardon himself. Is it a question that certainly the, believe, is it a question the Supreme Court believe. has looked at before? I don't think so, right? No. Well no. I mean I, I, I don't believe that there's any president in the United States that uh, ever pardoned himself. I mean the, the the one that you can think of who at least would have had a occasion to do it is Richard Nixon, and he was not, not pardoning himself, Joe full pardon. So I, 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 we would be in uncharted territory. Um, my guess is that he'd do it, and, uh, and then the court would have to look at it, and then we have this highly uncomfortable situation where uh, imagine that the court says, well, no, we interpret pardon in the uh, – language of the Constitution to mean that, you know, you can pardon other people, but you can't pardon yourself. And uh, then what does Trump do in response to that? You know, part of me thinks this, it's already nutty, and this is going to be a crazy year for all the other cases that he's facing. And then you throw the pardon thing into it if, if he's elected in, in November, it takes office in January. I, I guess from a, from a non-legal perspective, but just from a smart guy perspective, is the country ready to go through this in 2024 and early 2025? Are we ready for this? No. <laughs> no, I don't think so. I, mean, I love the I, honesty. Look, I, 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 and I, you know, I think that uh, for the most part, with the exception of the documents case, these criminal cases against Trump are ill-conceived. That, that doesn't mean that his behavior, the underlying behavior that, that, uh, that, that the charges deal with was uh, admirable, acceptable. It doesn't even mean that it's not um, in a moral or political sense disqualifying. I, I, I think it is both of those things. But uh, it, it, it's not criminal. Uh, however, having said that, I mean, there are some, there is a documents case, which I think is different. And uh, there are some live issues uh, surrounding at least uh, the, the Jack Smith January 6th charges. Um, that could be resolved in a way uh, that make the cases uh, prosecutable. And so we are, I think, the Republican Party, by nominating Donald Trump, is running a risk that we will find ourselves in that situation. And uh, I, I don't think that people have given adequate thought to what that means. Uh, I think that on, on the Republican side, there's this idea that well we have to lob, we have to rally around Donald Trump because uh, uh, you know he's um, uh, he's being unfairly treated 
And on the Democrat side, um, I think inadequate thought was given to what the ramifications of this type of um, aggressive use of the law uh, might mean for the country. Talking to Rick Rick Essenberg, president of the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty. So if I'm looking at these cases, and you are somebody who's been in courtrooms, you've you've argued cases in front of the Wisconsin Supreme Court, certainly. Um, The courts have been known to be slow, not necessarily quick. Looking at the timeline and and just the the sheer volume of these cases that the president, former president, is facing, realistically, any of these things close to being wrapped up before the election in November? Well, I think that the question of whether Trump has access to the ballot could be wrapped up close to November. The Colorado case. Yeah, the Colorado case. The Colorado case is set to be argued in February. My, My guess is that the court... Uh, the Supreme Court will and should reverse the Colorado Supreme Court, and that will be the end of that. However, uh, the, the, the Smith January 6 charges, uh, they're set for trial in March, um, but, but there are problems. This question of the extent of the president's immunity from criminal prosecution um, is uh, on appeal to the D.C. Circuit. Uh, it's probably probably going to be a petition for review to the U.S. Supreme Court after that. All that deprives the district court judge of jurisdiction. I don't think that much uh, fifth trial date is going to happen. Uh, the, the document case down in Florida is uh, set to go to trial, uh, I think, on May 20th. But uh, that's a very, very difficult case to move quickly because you have to get security clearance for uh, the various participants in the trial, the lawyers and the people who work for them, so that you know they can deal with these you know documents that are at issue there. And so, I mean, I think that this uncertainty—I mean, unless the court takes up the uh, uh, question of immunity uh, rules quickly and comes to the conclusion that uh, uh, that the president is immune from criminal prosecution, which I think is is not the likely outcome. Uh, and then I think, uh, you know, we're, we're going to have this stuff uh, running in the background of the presidential election, uh, um, you know, may, maybe through November. If the court would go against what you just said and gave him immunity, is that does that end all this stuff for the most part? Well, it, it ends the, the, the it probably ends the January 6th case, it, although there might be an issue there. As to whether or not the, um, the the actions that he took after the election were done in the scope of his official duties, uh, but but if the court says they were, uh, and you know, there are all sorts of permutations of this. I mean, the court might say yes, the president has uh, immunity for actions taken in the course of his official duties, but. Uh, we're going to remand this case to determine whether or not the uh, post-election conduct was in the course of his official duties as the president of the United States. Or they may come to the conclusion that, yes, the president has immunity, but it's qualified. And you, you can lose your immunity um, by uh, stepping outside some band of what is permissible. And the case can be remanded to determine whether or not he's outside that band or not. Uh, I, I think it, it could it could end the January 6th case, but, uh, but it's not certain to end the January 6th case. Uh, the Georgia case would probably go along with that. Uh, the two cases in New York, which I think are, are very, very weak cases, 
and the E. Jean Carroll case, which isn't a criminal case, uh, but yet is very embarrassing uh, to a, a presidential candidate to be accused of things like that, uh, to say the least. Is uh, those are not, those are clearly outside the scope of his duties. I wasn't president when those things happened. Rick Esselberg joining us on, on WTMJ now, the president of the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty. Uh, when you think about all of these, uh, you know, these court cases and the, the the action of Donald Trump, and he's he's showing up at some of these cases and some of these trials. Um, he seems to be willing to push the envelope with conduct and actual public statements of the written kind in the form of posts and uh, whatever the new word for tweet is. Um, judge, judges have well, chastised he does, him. He doesn't tweet, right? He goes on truth, truth social. social. Yeah, so what's, I don't know what the... Truth what, social, Donnie. Yeah, <laughs> so, okay. Um, so is there a judge brave enough, I guess, maybe that's not the right term, to say, you know what, no, you're not doing this. And what actually could they do to a former president to say... We have to limit this. And I'm not even sure you can't put him under house arrest, I'm guessing, because he's a candidate for, for the presidency. What do you do with him? Well, you could. I mean, he can be held in contempt, and he has been held in contempt, I think, and fine. Uh, uh, you know, it, 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 this is the thing. You know, Trump is leaning into this, and he wants to present himself as and, – and this is, to some extent, uh, the uh, – the nature of his appeal. I mean, a lot of people who uh, who don't like Trump, and I, I, I surely do not like Trump, uh, think that you know his his appeal is completely nefarious, and they're not they don't understand uh, just how much the uh, progressive left has alienated much of the country, and so they're willing to live with Trump in part because they think the progressive left is too bad, is so bad, and, and in part because. Uh, he seems to be the guy that annoys them the most, right? He's the guy that sticks his thumb in their eye. And it's kind of like, you know, the worst enemy of my enemy is my best friend type of thing. And uh, he's leaning into that, I think, with the way that he's responding to all of this stuff. And uh, the the problem that he's going to face is that, you know, it can get him 50% of the vote in Republican primaries, at least for a while. I don't know how long that's going to last. You remember 1980 uh, when Teddy Kennedy uh, challenged Jimmy Carter? Uh, Jimmy Carter thumped him in the first, I don't know how many, seven, eight, nine, ten primaries, uh, because he got a lot of sympathy because the hostages were being held. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that sympathy wore itself out after a while. And it, I think the interesting thing here is, you know, and maybe the reason why Haley uh, is planning to stay in the race uh, is, uh, you know, that sympathy for Trump, uh, I, I don't think it's likely to run out among Republican primary voters, but it might. And and uh, but but even if it doesn't, it gets the nomination, which seems like, you know, the most likely thing to happen. Um, it doesn't play as well in the general election. And uh, the, the, the Trump people should be very, very concerned about Haley's performance with independence in New Hampshire. And they should be very, very concerned about a lot of polling that shows that uh, a very significant proportion of Republican voters say they won't vote for him if he's convicted of something. Rick Esselberg, president of Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty. Quickly before we uh, we let you go back to your your fun times there, um, let's. I know you're still working, but you you also enjoy your life. 
down in Florida. Well, I'm, I'm looking at a couple of ducks on the canal right now. <laughs> I'm swimming in the sun, so I'm, I'm sure it's the same. You have the same view, don't you? Yeah, no, unfortunately I don't. I'm, I'm envious. So, so get, given all we've gone through with with uh, with Donald Trump and and you know the court cases and all that and the challenges to 2020. Any possibility, regardless if he's a nominee or he's not, or you know whatever happens in the general election, any possibility that we're not just reliving the next, the last three years and the next three years, given that he's the person. Well, you know, um, uh, uh, one of my colleagues uh, has this saying that people don't change, and uh, I don't know whether I subscribe to that completely, but they sure don't change that much when they're seventy-eight years old. And so I'm afraid that we, we, we are going to deal with this. And, and you know, part of my argument, uh, and again, this is my position, Will does not take a position on presidential candidates, uh, you know, is that, uh, you know, Trump may hurt conservatives more by winning than he would by losing, because I think that's exactly what we're going to get. And I just don't think the country wants that on a long-term or even medium-term basis. I couldn't say any better than that. Rick Esselberg, always appreciate your time and your wisdom. Uh, we'll talk down the road. Take care. Absolutely. Rick Esselberg, all the way from Florida. How about that? So we'll take a break here, probably a little bit longer break than usual because I skipped a break there. Uh, if you have comments on what Rick Esselberg just said or what I posed earlier in our conversation and our, our playing of the uh, Scott McFarland piece of audio, weigh in now, 855-616-1620, the WTMJ Talk and Text Line. As I do every day, my show poll is up on the X, formerly known as Twitter. If you're not on the X or Twitter, you can find it. You can vote, rather, on the uh, WTMJ Talk and Text Line, 855-616-1620. A very focused question today. We were talking about some of the legal challenges for Donald Trump. That's one of my possible answers, actually, to the uh, to the show poll today. Uh, with just two candidates remaining in the race for the Republican nomination for president, Nikki Haley faces long odds to beat out former President Donald Trump. Not impossible, but starting to look that way. Given that, in your opinion, which is what I'm interested in here, what could potentially derail Trump's candidacy? First one, legal issues, 62%. Age or health concerns, right now 17%. We already have 229 votes, for so nice job, you. Say the wrong thing. Interesting from a president who basically speaks off the cuff constantly and doesn't care about who he offends. Say the wrong thing is getting about 8% of the uh, support. And other is always available. And I've, I can tell you, i got a lot of uh, robust comments. Um, maybe tomorrow says, I pray every day for him to get the punishment. We will, we'd all get if we're in his shoes. Uh, Some really dark ones that I'm not going to read. Uh, time for a third-party candidate, Libertarian, to be elected. I just had the... Former chair of the Libertarian Party, Nicholas Sarwark, on the show yesterday. It's available on our podcast page, by the way. Uh, uh, Brian with a beard says, nothing, nothing will derail it. He's going to win the nomination because the people who support him won't even care if he is convicted of everything he's charged with. They've come this far. They ain't leaving now. I've said this before on this on this topic. It's really, really hard for people to admit they're wrong. Nobody wants to admit they're wrong, right? It's, it's, it's a hard thing to do, to accept. I made a mistake. But the the problem with at least the the political equation now is when you see unhinged behavior, whatever you think about Joe Biden, whether he's senile or ineffective at the border or, you know, pick a topic, that's one thing. 
when you see a candidate for president of the United States, and he is a candidate, he's not the president, not an incumbent, using racist terminology, using really offensive attacks to make a political point, including style of clothing or dress or race, that's a different animal. That's a different thing, and that's the the challenge of what we're talking about here. Now, you can sit there and say, that doesn't bother me. That's just him being him. But as I've said before, the conduct, in my opinion, of a president matters, and that's the challenge. All right, got a very wide-open 10 o'clock hour coming up. Great economic news, but as I said on my show notes, let the spin begin. Why are some people never happy about good news, and they cheerlead for bad news? Uh, we'll talk a little bit about the governor's state of the state, not a, not a lot. And uh, the move to cashless, a cashless society. I'm a fan, but there's a lot of people who don't like it at all. I'm going to dig into that one in the second half of the 10 o'clock hour. We're just getting warmed up on this Thursday. Join us on WTMJ. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's WTMJ Now. News, opinions, Wisconsin. Everything you need to know in the Badger State and beyond. Here's your host, Steve Scafidi. And good morning, everybody. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thursday edition of the WTMJ Now program. I am Steve, as Big Voice Guy just said. Raise your hand out there in Radio Land. Do you cheer for bad economic news because it makes it more likely that your candidate, your party will win? If you raise your hand, what's wrong with you? So I've told this story a few times on the show, reported this a few times. The economic numbers are, are starting to look pretty good. I'm not making this political. You can make it that if you want to, and you can join the conversation, 855-616-1620. Higher wages, they're actually on the increase. Inflation has tumbled from a peak of around 9% in summer 2022 to 3.4% currently. The Fed's target is 2%, by the way which is kind of what it's been over the last six months. Paychecks, as I said, outpacing inflation. We are learning to adapt to higher prices, and sometimes we get good news, like gas prices. That would be in the good news category. Drove by my uh, local gas station today. It was two forty nine. I think most people look at that and say, not bad. I don't give credit to Joe Biden. I don't give credit to Donald Trump. It's just what it is. A lot of other factors in, at play there. The big one, wage growth pulling ahead of inflation last year, and that that trend has continued. So why does that matter? Why does that matter to the the bigger picture? Because I think we have a responsibility to tell the truth. Now, every time I bring this up, people go, well, yeah, most people aren't in in the stock market. They don't care about what the market's doing, which is, by the way, setting record close numbers every day, just about. NASDAQ, S&P, Dow. And perception matters here. Why do I say that? Because when people perceive that inflation is bad or increasing, which when it's not, it sometimes accelerates their spending, their consumption, which actually can be a contributing factor in inflation. Now, I don't care if you're an investor who 
likes to live in the world of the negative and wants to short stocks and all that stuff because you think the price of a stock is going to go down, you be you. You do what you, want, you have to do. But we are not going to engage, at least on this program, a false narrative that the economy is, is spiraling out of control, which is obviously that is a political story because it's nuts. Now, the one area that people point to is food, right? Now, it is fair to say that food costs more. One of the things that people point to is chicken prices. There's a lot to that story. Avian flu, destructions of thousands and thousands, millions and millions of chickens and other animals because of that virus. Bread, milk, those are more expensive. Well, there's examples like eggs where they're cheaper. Why do some people cheer for bad news? Now, I would argue, and I made this point on social media either yesterday or this morning, some people are just angry all the time. Just always angry. I don't know what the number is. I couldn't pigeonhole a number on that, but I don't know, 10%, 20%, always mad about something. Grouchy old man. I'm encouraged by the economic news. Gas prices stable. Wages going up. Low unemployment. There's challenges, of course. We talked to a local leader in the 9 o'clock hour from Fond du Lac County. Workforce. But where there's adversity, opportunity exists, and I think that's one of the things that we we in the media have to do a better job of. Andrew wants to start the conversation in Waukesha. Hey, Andrew, welcome to the show. Good morning. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. So I'm going to try real hard not to sound angry so as not to be dismissed. But essentially what you're saying, right, is carpe diem. Seize the day, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. I tell you what, Steve, it's not that people revel in bad news. It's that you can look at very simple data like the national debt and see we can't – this is unsustainable. It's going to ruin our country. So what are we going to do about it? Well, let's spend billions of dollars more for Ukraine. Let's spend billions of dollars more for uh, green energy. It's like, no, 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 you don't get it. We're paying a trillion dollars in interest. It's unsustainable. Ah, don't be such a whiner. This is not about whether the wage growth is going up a little bit more or whether the employment numbers look good. Our entire economic system, and all you have to do is ask some young person, hey, do you think you're going to be able to buy a house and afford a mortgage in a year or two? It doesn't work. And cheerleading for a system that doesn't work hurts people, Steve. All right, let me respond to the national deficit question. Because I'm actually on your side on this. This is the one area that I completely agree with Senator Ron Johnson. We've screwed around with this for too long, and it is unsustainable. But I can also say that and at the same time say, there are some good numbers. Now, whatever for every good number, there's somebody who's going to say there's a bad number. I understand that. But it does us no good to ignore the good numbers and focus on the negative. And this isn't a fairy tale world we live in. Perception matters. And in this country, perception can actually make things worse. It causes people to buy things, accelerate their spending, which actually contributes to inflation. That's why these things matter. So I agree with you completely on the deficit. It's insane. And I would point to, not to make this political, Andrew, thanks for the call, that we have people in Congress who are not serious about their job. Why do I say that? Because Republican or Democrats, they 
don't change the behavior. They spend, spend, spend. I have sat in this chair for years and, and advocated for a dollar-by-dollar critical analysis of how the government spends their money. Every line item. Are, do we need to spend that money? Are we spending it efficiently? Is it necessary? And it's dismissed. And the ugly part about this, if you want to make it political, and, and you weren't, and I'll give you credit for that, the former president added more debts than any other president. What am I missing there? The point is perception is important. I gave that one example. If people accelerate their consumption because they're fearful about what's coming next, it actually makes inflation, it can make inflation worse. And I'm trying to tell people, maybe I'm not doing a good job. You can tell me, 855-616-1620, that our perception about all of these things is really important. And I guess my underlying message is don't let a politician who goes to Washington, D.C. and doesn't do their job dictate what you think about the economy, border policy. Matter of fact, let me just let me take a, a side trip for one second and demonstrate the inaction that we see in Congress. What do I hear from Republicans? There's a there's a border issue, right? Problem at the border. We should fix the, the president and Congress should fix that. But what's happening in Congress as we speak? Lindsey Graham, Ron Johnson, other leaders are saying basically, you know what? We're not going to fix it now because that would be a win for Biden. We're going to wait for President Trump to take over. We have a candidate for president dictate dictating the actions of a Congress who is seated and is supposed to fix our issues and address our problems. In what world does that make sense? I appreciate your passion, Andrew, and, I, and on the deficit issue, I'm in complete agreement. That is one area where I, I agree with Ron Johnson. It is an absolute disaster. It's a disaster waiting to happen. But that doesn't mean that our economy is not strong. Matter of fact, it's stronger when other countries in this world wish they had our economy. That's the reality. What do you think? 855-616-1620. More after this. Talking about the economic situation in the United States, which is really what I think we should focus on. There's some dire consequences on the rest of the planet. It's all important, obviously, how we all work together. But when you have struggles with our relationship with China and Russia, we have to think about this country. I'm not going to say America first because that's been prostituted by politics, but the, the concept is valid. Now, Andrew made a great point. And first of all, I love Andrew for the passion that he called with. And I, I appreciate that. And, and, you know, to call a radio show is not easy, and I appreciate him taking the time to do it. And I, like I said, I agree with him on a national deficit completely. But I can think two things at the same time. He made a comment about home ownership, And I saw a great piece. I wish I could remember where I read it over the weekend. Young people saying, I can't afford a home anymore. I, I don't know what to do. And the piece, the point the piece was making was, in earlier eras, people bought what they could afford. People built what they could afford. Average home size, sometimes less than 1,500 square feet. One of the fundamental problems we have is people expect the big house right away. People want to build a beautiful, brand new, 3,000 square foot home for two people living in it. Not saying you can't do that. The problem is it's not realistic. Especially unrealistic when mortgage rates are, you know, six, seven percent or higher. 
Now they, they're coming back down, which is a good thing. Perhaps what we should be thinking about as local leaders, people who work in the home building industry, working together, building neighborhoods where the size of homes is not unrealistic for budgets that are strained by inflation or in the future by our exploding deficit. Or maybe you buy a smaller, older home that's... I lived in a house that was 100 years old once. That's the reality that I think is missing most people. Do we all like shiny new stuff? Absolutely. My house was built in 1966. I've added on to it twice. I've modernized it. That's my experience. It started off at like 1,750 square feet. It's not that anymore. So having a realistic idea about this. Uh, from the text line, you're right. They should all sit down and do something about the border, but why can't we enforce existing laws? Many of us don't think that's happening. Democrats or Republicans, what am I missing? They refuse to do the work of the job. They're saying it out loud, and we accept it. That's the problem. Uh, from the text line, I refuse to cheer for bad news to advance my preferences and leadership. It's about time economic things rally, and the country needs that shot in the arm, although I give zero credit to the so-called Bidenomics. I'm not giving credit to Joe Biden at all. I give credit to the people who have a positive attitude about the economy and understand that in many ways, our consumption, our belief that we are moving in the right direction actually can make things better for all of us. I gave you that specific example. Buying something because you fear where prices are going actually speeds up inflation. Scott joins us from South Milwaukee. Hey, Scott, welcome to the show. Good morning. Hey, good morning, Steve. Yeah, yeah just on your general top on your general topic here. Again, I mean, I think it's bad business for politicians to be rooting for a negative economy for political gain, and I also think that's bad business for politicians to not be solving or working to solve the current problems and challenges, whatever that that face us, with the expectation that a new president is going to be is going to be reelected. On the topic of your of of homes, all right. A friend of mine is a builder, all right, whatever. And I asked him this very, this very question, whatever. Why, why do builders, all right, why do you not see anywhere in the area, whatever, new, sub, new developments for subdivisions for homes that are 1,000 to 2,000 square feet, all right, whatever. His re, and his response back to me was that there's no money to be made. For a, from a builder standpoint, there's no money to be made unless, the square footage of the average home in that in, in that development is o- is over three thousand square feet. All right, so like back in the day, whatever, when your parents and my parents, when they were buying homes, they were going to subdivisions, whatever. Where the average house was like I said was in that thousand thousand to fifteen hundred square feet square foot range. Mm-hmm. If you try and find in this area in southeastern Wisconsin, if you try and look for a new subdivision development, whatever for like I said starter homes, people like I said, that thousand to two thousand square foot square foot range you're not going to find it because builders won't build them because there's no money for the builder to be there's no money to be made for the builder yeah let me let me thanks for the call scott let me address that a little bit i'm not a builder i've been involved in a lot of construction projects over the years public and private i kind of understand a little bit i served as my own general contractor for one of my projects look there's opportunity here is it challenging? Absolutely. So we just give up because it's a challenge? I'll actually give a shout-out to, uh, there's a, a small neighborhood in uh, in Oak Creek. 
South Hall, almost to the border of Oak Creek and Racine. East side of the street, very small homes. They're, they're cookie-cutter homes. I think they were designed for veterans or people that were uh, in that category. They made that work. You have to want to do it. Are they going to be as fancy as a you know $500,000, 3,000-square-foot home? No. But maybe not everybody wants that. Maybe, maybe some people want a basic starter home that's affordable. Cities can actually help make this happen. States can make it happen. Legislatures can make it happen by making it affordable again, working with the construction industry, working with home builders and local leaders to change the dynamic. The dynamic is everybody wants a big, fancy house. That has to change. Uh, Texter says, makes my point, the future is tiny homes. I, I saw, I was watching the Magnolia Network uh, the other night, uh, and they were building a tiny home. Cost 60000 More of those kinds of ideas. And here's the other, here's the other thing, and this is, the, again, the perception. There's, there's this perception by existing homeowners, existing neighborhoods, that somehow these drive down your property values. Property values are exploding. Texture points out, and Tracy Johnson made this point yesterday. Regulations and zoning, that needs to change. They're getting in the way of what I'm talking about. Stop forcing builders to build these mega homes. You want to get our economy in trouble? Have a ton of mega homes that people can't afford anymore. You will certainly break our backs when it comes to this great country we live in. I promised I would talk about the governor's state of the state of justice. I was going to play some audio, but I'm just going to cut through all the noise. Look, and I'm going to, I hope to have the governor on the show next week. I was talking to one of his staff uh, yesterday, and it looks like that's going to happen next week. And I'll let you know when that is, and we'll, we'll have these conversations. I will say this. It's always an important speech for a governor to kind of lay out his plan. You're the worker. Okay, whatever that means, and we talked a little bit about that yesterday, fine. I'm all for higher wages. Let's uh, let's build things together. Let's uh, let's be open for business. I know that's a uh, a phrase that the governor doesn't like. Then this current governor doesn't like because the former governor loved it. Although that's, I would think, a goal that we should all share, regardless of politics. Um, but my frustration with the governor and the legislature has been it's, it's been consistent for years. Talking about getting things done has replaced getting things done. Now, now it's not absolute. I credit both the governor and the legislature for getting the shared revenue package done, the Brewers' Bill done, and some other important pieces of legislation. So it's not a washout. But there's a lot of phony stuff happening, both in the, in Madison and Washington, where the ruling party, in this case it's Republicans in Wisconsin legislature, are passing bills they, have, they know have no chance to be signed by the governor. And I would argue that that's feel-good legislation, but it's not real legislation. It, it, you know, you can pacify your, your voters, some, because, as I often remind them, you represent everybody who is in your district, not just the ones who voted for you. And that's a fundamental issue that far too many politicians have a problem with. Why do I say that? Just read their social media. You'll indicate who they actually pay attention to. Beyond all that, it's important that the governor lays out his strategy, but it's also important for the legislature to understand 
This is a team here. You don't have to like each other. Hell, you don't in the modern era you don't have to talk to each other. You can do this through your staffs and your your support staff and your teams. But ultimately, fixing problems is the most important part of all of this. But I will ask the governor when he joins me, hopefully next week, about all the specifics in his plan. And first and foremost, one of my lead questions, I can tell you what it is right now. Are we ever going to see our surplus in the hands of the people who paid into the surplus? It is inexcusable that all this time has passed and we are still sitting here today with, what, $4 billion now in surplus because they've spent some of it? Wondering, any tax relief coming? Are we going to help out retirees? That was in... The Republicans' plan, what does the governor think about that? How do you define the middle class? Is it 38 to 150? That's my definition. What is it? Middle class, governor. And for the love of whoever, can we stop awarding tax surpluses to people that don't pay taxes? That makes no sense. Doesn't mean you don't help people that need help. That's not how you should do it. And that's my biggest frustration with some of these ideas about taxation. If you pay the taxes, you get the benefit. If you don't, maybe you should think about earning more and actually paying in the system and being part of the solution, not just the problem. Tough love, maybe. Don't care. Thanks for taking the time to find us in your busy radio day, busy day in general. Over the air, online, podcasts. Guys are hitting my podcast page. I'm going to keep adding more content every day. We're going to be rolling out some new stuff we'll tell you about in the near future. And, of course, Decision Wisconsin is is up now, and I do two new ones every week. And the latest one with Ben Wickler, chair of the Democratic Party of Wisconsin, is uh, now up at WTMJ.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Interesting uh, insight. And I was just talking about the governor's state of the state. We Ben and I talked about that as well. Uh, and I had him define for me what the governor meant by year of the worker, and he does that in the podcast. So if you're curious, Decision Wisconsin, latest edition with Ben Wickler. I'm not sure how I feel about this next one. So I'm going to kind of, this is more of an open-ended. Generally, I have a pretty strong take on things. So the headline, and again, I often refer to this site because I absolutely love this. This is one of those fun sites. If you're a uh, someone who just likes to look at different things on the Internet, Studyfinds.org. I get a lot of great ideas from it. It's a lot of great uh, research, survey information, just good data. And this one caught my eye. And I, again, I don't know exactly how I feel about this because I, I, I will say that I'm a big fan of cashless. I can go weeks without having any money, real cold hard cash in my wallet. Now, right right now, I've got about twenty five bucks. I'm not sure why I have twenty five bucks. I'm a big fan of the cashless system. If I go to a game at Lambeau Field, it's all cashless. If I um, go to a restaurant here at 3rd Street, pretty, I'm pretty sure it's all cashless. I could be wrong. There might be one restaurant that takes cash, but pretty sure it's all cashless. And one of the things that I, when I was reading this piece of study finds, the, the, the headline, if you want to look it up, is no cash accepted signs are bad news for millions of Americans. And that's what prompted my interest because I kind of like it. 855-616-1620 is the uh, WTMJ talk and text line. So basically the, the argument is, that's being made against cash is there's about 6 million Americans who don't have bank accounts. And I, I was actually surprised by that number. Roughly 6 million people in the United States, which is about the population of Wisconsin, by the way, only 6.5 million, something like that, 
Don't have a bank account. Uh, reasons go from they don't have enough monthly income to have a bank account. I know that a lot of banks, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's like $50 minimum you have to maintain. Uh, and they don't, a lot of people live paycheck to paycheck. Generally, for people that make more than 15000 in a year, which is not a lot of money, um, they have bank accounts. People generally that make less don't. Now, when people are skeptical about some of the numbers or the cashless society, um, there are some people who basically avoid banks. I, I wasn't even really aware of this because they think it, it invades their privacy or that they don't trust banks. You know, we've all heard the stories of people stuffing money in their mattresses, which is great until you pass away and then either it goes to a landfill or somebody makes a really great discovery when they're stripping your house after you're passed. A couple of other reasons. A quarter of the respondents felt bank account fees were too high. Fees unpredictable. Now, I know there's slight charge for some accounts, which can range from like five bucks to fifteen bucks. If you maintain a higher balance, I think they're free. But if you don't have a bank account, you basically don't have access to ATMs or any of the things that I think a lot of us take for granted now. So there's a couple ways I want to I want to take this. One, just generally the cashless system. I'm a big fan of it. As I said, I can go weeks without having any actual cash in my wallet. And I can't remember the last time that was a problem for anybody. Because even if someone says, well, we, we only take cash, which I guess can happen, there's almost always like an ATM or something else I could do to, hey, or if I'm with somebody, hey, can you, can you pay and I'll catch up with you? And I'm an honest person, so that usually works. 855-616-1620. I don't think we're ever going to go cashless as a society, but I think the day is coming where most of our transactions, almost all of our transactions will be cashless. I'm just curious, curious where you fall on that spectrum. And like I said, I, I have not gotten in trouble because of not having cash probably as long as I can remember. And you know, the cashless thing is, you know, five, ten years, basically. It's 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 transformed. You know, when you're talking about a stadium of, of the size of Lambeau Field and, it, and it's essentially cashless, it's a pretty remarkable thing. One of the other challenges is, um, you know, again, this speaks to the border policy. People come into this country illegal, undocumented. They don't have access to banks. Well, when you fix the border policy, you might have that problem. 855-616-1620, the WTMJ talking text line. What do you think? Are you fearful of the cashless? I'm not. And do you have a fear of banks? If so, why? I don't get it. I just don't get it. What do you have to say after this? Forgot to mention my grandson Cooper's fifth birthday today. So happy birthday. Happy birthday, Coop. Five years old. Where does the time go? All right. We're talking about sort of the shift to cashless. It's, it's accelerating, if you haven't noticed. I told my story. So I often have no cash. And it hasn't really bothered me or hurt me. Don wants to weigh in from the beautiful city of Green Bay. Hey, Don. How's it going, Steve? Great show as usual. Thank you. Yeah, it scares me to, it scares me to death. <laughs> Okay, you know why? 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 You can't hide your golf money from the wife. <laughs> oh, hiding, hiding, hiding. She had a clue. 
<laughs> you know, you got receipts and stuff. It shows up on your statement. Right. It's so it's free. When so. you say golf money, is that is that more encompassing than just golf? I'm guessing. Uh, yeah, there might be a few other extraneous <laughs> activities, but right. uh, nothing nothing too bad. I'm not I'm not hanging out in a blue room or anything. But, no, no. You know, there's there's things that you might want to spend, and you know, you just can't. Do you think we're ever going to get to? Like where there's just many, many, many places that just don't accept cash at all. I don't think we're going to get there. Yeah, I could. Uh, you know, though, I don't know that we will or won't. But I can tell you this: I work in the refreshments industry, mm-hmm. and there's we have uh, the vending machines, for example. There's plenty of places that are like just turn off the cash, just make it all debit, credit, Apple Pay, you know, all that good stuff. And that has become, I mean, in the last three five years, that has really just taken off. Every every vending machine that you see that's of any quality company takes credit and, and Apple Pay and all that stuff. So, and we see it in our sales. We're seeing you know seventy five eighty percent are just cashless. Yeah, so it is. Thanks for the call, Don. And uh, you can still hide your golf money, I'm sure, for a while anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, it's trending in that direction. That's why I brought it up. I, you know, I, I hadn't really paid attention to the no bank account issue. Uh, which is real and, and something we should definitely pay attention to, as long as there's an alternative for those folks, though. I mean, for businesses, I would think it's probably easier, right? Now, I will also tell you and warn you, if you haven't noticed this, that a lot of places now, restaurants included, they just tack on whatever fees they pay for people using credit cards on your bill. And if you're not paying attention, you, you, you will sometimes miss that. Uh, Sue calling from... Hey, Sue. Welcome, Sue. You're, you're, on, the, you're on the show. Hello. Yeah, Sue. Welcome. Good morning. Hi there. How are um, you? I was calling about the uh, cashless yes. situation. Mm-hmm. And years ago, when debit cards came out, I thought they were fantastic. I thought, this is awesome. I don't have to carry my wallet. I don't have to carry cash. My kids are old enough. They have jobs. They have their own cash. And if I need cash... I'm in town. I can go to the bank, get some cash. It's all cool. Well, 15 or so years later, I'm ready to go back to uh, cash and cards and um, verifying my identification and stuff because I've been hit with a lot of small um uh, Fra- people trying to get in my bank account. Fraudulent so charges, I- yeah, yeah, that that is a problem. Yeah. And but what took the cake for me, and I laughed when I heard you talking about this subject, is um, I went to my bank on Saturday because I was having some problems with my account, and she pulled it up, and someone had charged two thousand dollars worth of stuff from Home Depot online. Mm. To be delivered to their home on my bank account card. So, fortunately, so, they were able to stop the transaction and stuff. Well, that's but, good. So, for you, it's it's not a question of you like the convenience; but it's just not worth the, the the risk or the trouble. Well, it's getting to that point. Mm-hmm. I mean, I have handled cash all my life. I. My dad had a business, and I used to do bank deposits for him and, um, you know, taught my kids about money and responsibility and things. But 
I worry about them too. Yep. You know, who's going to get in? They all have a lot more money than me. Now, I'll put you in the no camp, Sue. Thanks for the call. We'll get John in real quick before we get to break again. John from Burlington joins us. Hey, John, welcome to the show. Happy Thursday. Hey, Steve. How's it going? Good. Um, you brought it up a little bit about, your. Uh, you know, I try to pay cash as much as I can and everything. couple reasons. One is when you're starting to see any place from 3 to 8% tacked onto a credit card, and the, and the uh, uh, merchant is going, it's not our fault. It's being charged by the credit card company. The other thing is when I'm tipping, I, I, I remember the old days of splitting up the jar, tips among the employees. Just going on the credit card, you're hoping like heck the employer's getting that to the, you know, they're getting it to the uh, 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 workers and stuff. So I stay away from it. So put me for a no. All right. John from Burlington weighing in the no side. What do you think? 855-616-164. we got a little bit of time left. Um, that's an interesting one because... I can tell you my wife always has cash, and we have on occasion paid the tip in cash. Um, and if anyone works in the service industry in restaurants or bars, I'd like I'd be curious to know how that sharing of tips works, and is it being shared? Because that's, that's fascinating to me. As somebody who used to be, I was a bartender for like 15 years, a uh, part-time job while I was doing other things, and... Uh, we didn't sh- we didn't share tips. What you got, you got. And I can't even remember an occasion where we did share tips. It might have been for like a big event or something because I worked at some sports bars. Um, jump in, 855-616-1620. Room on the old uh, call list here. Love to hear what you have to say on the uh, WTM Janap Now program. A couple minutes left in the hour. A lot of people want to weigh in on the, uh, the quest for cashless. I don't think we're ever going to get there completely, but we are moving in that direction. Got to make them quick. Jackie from Cedar Grove. Hi, Jackie. Welcome to the show. Hey, Steve. So I've got an interesting story for you. Um, When I was um, a student at the Medical College of Wisconsin, one of my fellow students um, was an international student from China. And her grandmother uh, was um, paying her her tuition at school, which was significant. Um, At the time, well, I graduated in 2019, but it was about $25,000 a semester. That's significant. So nothing, yeah, nothing to sneeze at, but it's medical school. Um, this, this sweet girl did not, for the life of her, she could not understand our banking system. So she did everything in cash, including her tuition. She didn't trust bank transfers. She had her grandmother wire her wow. $25,000 every semester and then she'd get it from like Western Union. I don't even know where you would find a Western Union anymore. <laughs> um, and she would put it in her purse and bring it to school. And I talked to the registrar one day and she said, oh, my gosh. She said, every time this girl comes in, she's like, I, I have to take it. She's like, it, it's legal. Yeah, yeah. But then I have to shut down the office right away because I don't have a safe. I'm, that can I, handle this much cash. I'm glad you called because I, the, the risk of doing that seems insane to me, especially with. That's a, where I was too. Like that's that's crazy. I always paid by check until they they updated their online system and I could just pay online. Right, but, right. Now, thanks for yeah, t- thanks I, for sharing I, the stories, Jackie. That's, that, that's a you know, as much as people want, to, some people want to be all cash. That seems crazy to me. Uh, we can squeeze in Rose from Madison. Hi, Rose. Welcome to the show. Happy Thursday. Hi, Steve. Happy Thursday to you, too. Um, I was just going to point out um, the flip side of the uh, merchants charging 3%. I've now seen um, some restaurants, et cetera, 
where they will give you a 3% discount if you pay with cash. Yeah, it's interesting. So that there's kind of a war going on there between the, uh, the the ones that don't like cash and the ones that do it. Yeah, I don't blame you. How often do you see that, Rose? Um, I, actually, interesting. Um, it's in odd places, like at uh, Rockford Airport, they do that. Um, it's restaurants, I think. is um, and And your producer was talking about a Chinese restaurant where um, if you pay with cash, they don't they don't charge you tax. Oh, so that's interesting. Yeah, it seems, than, seems illegal. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I know. I think that's true. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for the call. Rose calling from Madison. I, I, a lot of people want to weigh in. We, we're going to we're going to shift gears uh, because the news is next here on WTMJ. So we'll uh, we'll uh, round out the show with a robust 11 o'clock hour and uh, have some fun along the way. Join us. News is next. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue, it's WTMJ Now. News, opinions, Wisconsin, everything you need to know in the Badger State and beyond. Here's your host, Steve Scafidi. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Thursday edition of the big show here on WTMJ. Yes, I am Steve. It's WTMJ Now. News, opinion, why it matters in Wisconsin. At least for now. Now, this is when we do our, our fun, fun, fun Mind Chef giveaway. And we've tweaked it a little bit. We only ask one question. We take calls. Now is the time to call 855-616-1620. The WTMJ talking text line. $30 gift card from the Mind Chef up for grabs. I'll wait for those calls. Producer Charlie will take those calls. And I'm going to give you the question. Whoever gets it right wins the $30 gift card. And if you listen to our commercials from our great partner at Mind Shaft. Thursday, buy one pizza, get one free. As John McCure likes to say, buy 10, get 10 free. I got to ask the folks at Mineshaft, what's the record? Like 50 pizzas, 50 free? Like what's the, can we find that out? Can we ask our sales team to find the answer to that question? 855-616-1620 is the uh, number you should call if you want to see if you can't win that $30 gift card, I should say, $30 gift card from Mineshaft. Let me quickly find the question of the day. I sent it to myself in the morning, and then I have to search for it on my uh, good old computer here. Here it is. Um, as you know, I talk about a lot of things on the show. And this one has to do with something we talked about earlier, and that's politics, right? I talk about politics a lot. Not as much as some of the uh, insane folks that do what I do that literally get in front of a microphone or sit in front of a microphone and yell at you about three hours about politics. But, I, you know, I'm, I like to dip my toe, as they say. So I see the callers are lined up. This one has to do with politics, and I'm going to read the question, and then I'll give you the three answers, and then uh, first up is Jody. She will uh, guess what she thinks the right, right answer. They're just names today, so it should go fairly quick. So one of my re- regular weekly segments is, is, of course, Ask Steve Anything. Any question, fair game, politics, culture, entertainment, sports, all of that. One of the callers asked me a question about, on Ask Steve Anything, if I had the golden ticket, who would I pick to be the Republican nominee? But it couldn't be one of the people currently running. So who did I say would be my choice? Here's the three possible answers. Let's bring in, where's Jody at? There's Jody. Jody, are, are you there? Yep. All right, did you hear the question? I did, but I have no idea, but I'll take an educated guess. All right. It's always best to take an educated guess versus just one they were just throwing a dart on the, against <laughs> the wall. Um, all right. So here's the three choices, A, B, or C. Only one is correct. A, Liz Cheney. 
B, Paul Ryan, or C, Mitt Romney? Jody from Waukesha, what's the right answer? Oh, I would say B. B, Paul Ryan? Jody yeah. from Waukesha, you are our winner right out of the gate. And you didn't even know the answer, but you guessed correctly. So you are a winner of a $30 Mineshaft gift card. Yep. Great. All right. So stay on the line. Producer Charlie will get all your important info. And congrats on playing and being the winner of That's What Steve Said, $30 Mineshaft gift card. Have a great rest of your day. That's Jody from Waukesha, everybody. And thanks to Mike and Diana, who are also on the line. I wonder if that's the Diana I know. Curious. Um, so, yeah, it was Paul Ryan. And, and do, should we play the clip, Charlie? Do you have the, trip, the clip ready? Let's see if Charlie has it ready. Just to hear what I actually said I about it. a very simple question for you. If I gave you a golden ticket, and this ticket you can give to whoever you want, and they are instantly the nominee, it just cannot be anybody that's currently running, who are you giving that ticket to? Paul Ryan. Okay. Who would you give it to if you had the same opportunity? I would. Honestly, I'd probably say the same thing. <laughs> there you go. You, you know why that is, Matt? Because we're, we're guys that believe in common sense logic, and we, we don't buy into the – thanks for the call, Matt, by the way. We don't buy into the nonsense that Paul Ryan is a rhino, which is the most overused term, misused term, in the history of political terms. That's brilliance. Let's put that on a commercial. It's absolute brilliance. Oh, no, by the way, for the, the knuckleheads to, that send in a text that says rhino – it's not R-H-I-N-O. It's R-I-N-O. All caps. Rhino is an animal. Rhino, without the H, is a Republican in name only. And there are real rhinos out there. You know who the biggest one is? Donald Trump. Don't tell anybody I said, said that. All right, we'll take a break here. Lots more to get to, including this. This country... United States of America increasingly becoming more non-religious. What's that about? We'll discuss after this. Ah, well played, Mr. Charlie. Yes, that's the question. As I pose it. So I saw this story yesterday online. It originally was posted at the Washington Post. More Americans are non-religious. Who are they and what do they believe? So just some historical detail here. In the last 50 years in this country, it differs greatly in other places around the world, so I'll focus on the United States. 50 years ago, 95% of the population was religious, called themselves religious. You know what it is today? 70%. Now, I am curious, I'm just generally curious, probably why I have a radio show, on why that is. Now, you can point to a lot of things over the last 50 years. Television, Internet, social media, breakdown of the family, decline in two-parent households, not trying to ostracize or blame single-parent households, but... I'm just a fan of the two-parent variety. So Pew Research Center looked at some of this stuff. All demographics, race, age, race, politics, education. 56% say they still believe in some higher power. 67% say they have 
a belief that humans have a soul or spirit. But what I'm really fascinated by is why this is. Now, some people would say that religions, faith groups, have contributed to the problem. Look no further than scandals. Look no further than the one reality that most faith groups never want to talk about, and the fact that as religion has been used as a basis for war since people had consciousness. It's the ugly fact. Most religions preach nonviolence. Most people that are, I shouldn't say that, some people who practice a faith leave their place of worship and are some of the most negative, violent people on this planet. So faith groups don't get off the hook here either. 855-616-1620. Will this trend continue? And what does that mean for us? I've argued on this show, faith is important. I'm a person of faith. I try to live my faith. Born and raised a Catholic, went to Catholic school. And how I approach my life away from my place of worship or even away from my faith, whether that's in the community, on the radio, kind of the same thing. I would argue, and it's kind of unfortunate, far too many people, that's my faith life. When I get on out of the church or wherever, synagogue, I'm a completely different person, often rude, sometimes violence, sometimes not the nicest person. I've never understood that difference. Perhaps somebody can explain it to me. Faith is a powerful force, always has been, probably always always will be. There's other that other interesting piece of where Many large faith groups in our world, right? Muslims, Jews, Catholics, Lutherans, Sikhs, or Sikhs, believe different things. And often those differences create conflict, which is what I was talking about earlier with the the evidence, facts, that often faith is the, is the driver for conflict. And that's a ugly reality that a lot of people don't want to face. 855-616-1620. Do you think the trend continues? Used to be 95% practice religion. Now it's 70. Will that trend that declined, like declining number, continue? 855-616-1620. And if you have an explanation that's different than mine, I've given you a couple of them. Technology, I think, is as a contributor. Exposure to some of these Negative influences matter. Single-parent households, that's another one I think is important to look at. Again, not blaming single parents. You do the best you can. Plenty of people have gone through that reality and done just fine. Lack of parenting is certainly another one. And then the faith groups themselves. Scandals. I don't have to look any further than my faith on what that story's looked like over the last 50 years. It's ugly. Push people away from the church. What do you think? 855-616-1620, the WTMJ Talk and Text Line. Your contribution, your input, your feedback, your comments after this. More and more people saying no to religion. Why is that? Lots of people weighing in. I I haven't seen the uh, text line spin like this in a while. 
Uh, from the 414, I became more religious during COVID-19 when I was helping my mother do virtual church services online. I still do the services online and even go in person since she passed away in July. That's a great story, actually. Uh, from the 920, people are less religious because the government gives so much for nothing. People don't have to any reason to praise for things they have, my opinion. Uh, less religious from the 414 because of the moral failures of church leaders worrying more about membership and less about forming core morality that people feel secure in. From the 262, this is a common one as well. I'm a Catholic. I do not attend regular services. God is everywhere. Too much begging for money in sermons, too much fighting and backbiting among parishes that quotes from the Texas share a priest. Let's go to the phone lines. Scott from Greendale first up. Hey, Scott, welcome. Hey, Steve. Thanks for uh, taking this out. Absolutely. Um, I think three things come, three things come to mind for me. Um, one, I think, is pretty explainable. People are just busier. And whether it be kids and travel sports and clubs and, you know, people just, we weren't, we growing up, I know, in the 80s like I was, I'm 49, you know, Sundays, that was it. It was reserved for that. There were no tournaments taking me out of town for soccer or things like that. So the busyness. Um, and then I think, too, culture has become a lot more chaotic, you know, and with a chaotic culture, I, I feel like we are holding on tighter. We need to know answers immediately. We want to know why something happened. And for those that practice their faith, I'm Catholic like you, and but even for all of us Christians, you know, we know, for example, that Christianity is revealed, and it's not revealed at the time we want it to be. He reveals it to us on his timeline, and I think I think people have a problem with that. And then I, I would just say, finally, I think it's hard, right? Like any relationship you have with your spouse, with a friend, you go through good times, you go through bad times, but those relationships take work, right? Look how prominent divorce is, or people leave a job as soon as they're unhappy with a boss, right? Or you walk away from that friendship when, when uh, maybe times get a little bit harder. And the fact of the matter is, at the basis of all of our Christianity, whether you're Catholic or Protestant, the fact of the matter is, you're walking on a journey in a relationship with Christ. And when you don't get from him what you want at that moment, are you going to walk away? Or are you going to listen? Are you going to trust? So more, I think more and more people are walking away. I mean, that's the reality. Thanks for the call, Scott. I, I wanted to let you get all that in there. Look, immediacy is part of this. We want instant answers. Faith doesn't necessarily always provide that. And let's be really honest, brutally honest. Some people, their willingness to commit to faith is basically an hour or two on a Saturday or Sunday. Joel joins us from Butler. Hey, Joel, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for taking my call, Steve. You know, I, I find it in my own life to be a, a product of uh, modern liberalism. The, the people that want to promote themselves as being liberal want to also be pro-abortion. Well, uh, you can't be pro-abortion and a good Catholic. Yeah, I mean, the, the rules are the rules, right? Uh, thanks for the call, Joe. I think a lot of people want to craft their faith in the way they see it. Well, correct me if, if you're a faith leader, that's not how it works. There's the, in some cases, the written word, there's the text, there's the, for lack of a better phrase, code of conduct that applies to a person who is practicing that faith. And if you live in that reality, that's how it's supposed to work. The real reality, though, is, for more and more Americans, because we're talking about America here, as individuals have become busier, as they, as they live in this world of, of you know split-second answers, immediacy, challenging family relationships, hyper-partisanship, 
the ugliness of politics, the vacuum of a world spent watching reality TV versus just the real life that you live in, which is interesting and strange at the same time. That's what's going on here. Sam calls us from beautiful part of the state, Door County. Hey, Sam. Hi, Steve. How are you? Um, great. Oh, I'm good. Great calls prior to mine. They're fantastic. I agree. What do you think? Um, I think it's hypocrisy that keeps people or turns people away. And I say that because many of the bigger churches um, have actually participated in criminal activity. And it's tough to, you know, want to align yourself with that. Yeah, the scandals, I can just, I don't have to look any further than the Catholic Church, but it's not unique to Catholics. This has happened across faiths. And, and, you know, across the the world where there are people who take advantage of people that, frankly, have put themselves in that situation but don't deserve to be preyed on. And and I think you're exactly right. It is hypocrisy. And and I think that if we look at, I I, I assume you're a person of faith. Is that correct? Absolutely. Okay. Mm -hmm. For me, it sets a standard of conduct, right? How am I supposed to act? Again, not perfect. None of us are. We're all sinners. But it sets a standard (laughs) of conduct that for most of us, is reasonable, makes sense, and allows us to fun- function without a, you know, living in a world where everyone's yelling at us or we're yelling at other people. I, th- I prefer to have that, and that's that's sort of the baseline for me of why religion is important. Yeah, just taking a minute in a bad situation, a second in a bad situation to see, like, Lord, you know, just help me. <laughs> you know, it yeah. can change everything. Faith it can change th- everything. Yeah, thanks thanks for the call, Sam. Uh, again, this is just my my analogy but you know faith is is the hand reaching out to help you get through a tough situation right that's that's a very common one because when you're in a a marriage that's not working or if you are in a uh, whatever situation you're in often that conversation with a faith leader or professional someone who's of the church or the synagogue or the temple or wherever can kind of work you through those problems versus struggling with them by yourselves Look, there is no perfect, perfect relationship. We all kind of figure out the nuances of it. That's sort of the, the, the new reality. I do think, to answer my own question, this trend will continue until it doesn't. And people will be looking at some point, perhaps, perhaps not, for a reason to get back into faith. I always get yelled at when I say this, usually not yelling, but angry emails. Part of being a great faith leader is to understand the history, but also understand the present. Too many faith leaders, they understand the history just fine. They understand the tenets of their faith. They don't understand the present very well. And that sometimes unwillingness or just a general lack of awareness hurts recruitment or membership in religious faiths. It does. And that has to be part of the equation. It has to be. Churches that are growing are are recognizing that. They have, again, for lack of a better term, PR people. They make it more interesting. That's part of the dynamic. There's a, there's a movie, Sister Act, with uh, Whoopi Goldberg. One of the ways they got people in there was by entertaining them in church. Whoopi Goldberg, singers. That was a simple example. 
Not that your job is to be an entertainer, but your job is to make it interesting. How many of us? Raise our hands. And I've been going to church for a long time. I'm sitting there thinking, I know what the message is here because I've heard it a million times. You are a lousy storyteller. And I'm sorry if that hurts feelings, but I, I, I've said it more often than not. All of these things matter. You want to increase the number of people that at least profess to have a religion? Give them a reason to say that. Whenever you talk about religion, you're going to get a lot of uh, people that are interested in that conversation. And the, the text line is absolutely spinning. So thanks to all of you for taking the time. I'll read some of those. I mentioned before that when I get in trouble on this topic, it's, at least that's how I'm describing it, people will say, oh, my God, you're so critical of, of, of faith groups. I appreciate religion. I appreciate faith. I expect, though, that all of us are, are sort of on the same plane here. And when I see people that I go to church every Sunday, and then I see the behavior outside of that place of worship, it does give me pause and make me question, are you really listening when you when you go to your church or your place of worship? Because I see the ugliness come out of you in conversations, in social media. Sometimes you can hide by anonymous accounts. Sometimes you can't. How does that work exactly? How are you practicing the tenets of your faith, whatever that faith is? Tom joins us from Columbus. Hey, Tom. Welcome. Hey, good morning, Steve. Uh, excellent show. Very interesting. Thank um, you. You know, the, the political involvement, you know, and again, it's not one-sided, but it has built up in, in my wife and I, and we just, uh, the the political involvement of our of our church is, and, and, I, we just don't think the two belong together, and you know, we're starting to hear a little bit more from friends that we do uh, have fellowship with that we think, you know, and it's a different show entirely, but we kind of would like to see the tax exemption status go away, too. They benefit from all our services that we provide, but they pay nothing. Yeah, Tom, and, I'm glad you called and made this point because that I, I did this about a few months ago. This is an interesting topic or question because we're seeing churches increasingly, especially leaders of churches, be more political. That doesn't fall into that tax exempt status. In fact, they're they're not supposed to do that, but yet they are. Right, right, and and again, it's it's not a slam against any any faith or any denomination of any faith or anything. We're just it's getting old, you know. It's getting old, and they want to dictate to us what we should do, but we can't dictate to them. Yeah, and, and, and it really gets old when they're telling you how to vote in the polling place. Thanks for the thanks for the call, Tom. That's a big one. The politicization. What are we told about Iowa? Evangelicals for Trump. That is a direct violation of that tax exempt status. Especially when you you have local faith leaders saying this out loud, advocating, not endorsing, hopefully, although that wouldn't surprise me. That's not how it's supposed to work. And it's it's for the example of the degradation of enforcement. And again, you, you could be overly harsh here, but if you have a tax-exempt status and explicitly within that code, it's, it's said that you will not take a political position, not endorse a candidate or a party, should the rest of us not say, oh, maybe they don't need that tax-exempt status? As I said, I got a lot of text. So I, want, I want to read some of these. Um, the pastor I watch in Appleton has an uncanny ability to make his sermons and activities relevant to my life and current events, even though he's a Minnesota Vikings fan. Well done. So if you can make that worthwhile, good luck to you. Uh, yes, from the 414, hypocrisy and religion. 
How can the evangelicals, just mention this, support Donald Trump? It's a, it's a fascinating question. I have not heard a good answer to that question. And just on its face, given just today, quote from a source from the Trump campaign, they're going to, I'm paraphrasing, take down Nikki Haley, make her life miserable. So evangelical supporters of Donald Trump, how is that consistent with your faith exactly? Someone has to explain that to me. Uh, this is from the 262. I think it's simple as God is, our way, is way down on our list of priorities. We crave things and excitement over spiritual life. That's our pri- priority for most people now. Uh, this is another important one. How can you not question why almost all religious institutions hold women down as second-class citizens? Fascinating. I don't have the answer to that question. You've heard me say this over and over again. I think women are smarter than men. They certainly are usually better behaved. Less likely to be serial killers. We know that. Extreme example. Less likely to commit violence. More likely to be the victims of violence. We'll squeeze Phil in here before we go to break. Hey, Phil, welcome. City of Cudahy. Yeah, hi, Steve. So listen, I, you know, recently I, I decided to switch places of worship, and I was trying out a couple of places. And, um, <clears throat> for example, I walked into a Baptist church, and I have to say, afterwards I talked to the fellows there. I said I was a bit disappointed in the fact that you've got American flags. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but there's American flags all over their their church and Fourth uh, of July uh, things. And I, I just said to him, I go, you know, I'm not, I'm not. I'm not fond of that because it does say in the scriptures that my kingdom is no part of this world. And uh, that's what Christ said. So I personally believe that any religion that is getting mixed in political affairs, uh, taking that position, I'd walk away from. That's me personally. Uh, interesting. interesting. Example. Yeah, yeah, interesting comment, Phil. I'm, I'm glad you made it. That's an, uh, just a perspective on flags. Flags have become a prop. I was watching some uh, political coverage yesterday. It's a battle now to who can have the most flags behind the candidates on stage. Used to be one, then it was three, now then it was five. Now there's, I think there was like eighteen that I counted last night. You see it with um, sometimes the media campaigns of media professionals. More flags, flying jets is supposed to indi- indicate, I guess, I, a hyper patriotism, as if that's you know, those things are equatable. If you use a flag as a prop, including in church, you're kind of defeating the purpose of the flag. We'll take a quick break here. 1141 on WTMJ. Always a lot of interest in a, in a topic that revolves around religion. As I said, I got hundreds of texts in the last half hour. Uh, read some of those. I've been a longtime member of Suburban Church, and sadly, we've lost members solely because they've become extremely politically polarized in their lives outside of our faith community. And they departed because in their narrow view, the pastor didn't openly follow, preach those members' preferred political ideals. I think that's very sad. That is sad. I hate that trend. It's ridiculous. It doesn't mean that faiths can't have real-life important things to say. That's part of their process and part of what they do. But to openly advocate, advocate for political candidates? No, that's not what faith should be. My opinion. Paul joins us from New Berlin. Hey, Paul, welcome to the show. Hey, good morning. How are you? Good. I am wonderful. What do you think? I am as well. I am deeply rooted in our faith, and we have been for a long time. Our church, 
I'm Catholic, is very involved, and I, I couldn't agree with all the other callers as much. One thing that's not discussed that most people are not aware of is the Catholic Church as a whole donates to more charities around the globe than any other faith organization. And there are more people in need than ever before. And we're there to help. And that is the whole premise of our faith, is helping others and doing good. And it just, it's irritating that things like this, you know, it's so easy that everybody bashes the church. Yeah, I, I, I'm not trying, I hopefully didn't get the idea that I was bashing church. I just wanted to try to figure out why. You know, no, few, no, no, I agree. Yeah, fewer and fewer people are, are identifying with a specific religion. I, I'm, again, I'm not here to pick a religion for you. I'm Catholic, you're Catholic, and I agree with you completely. Yeah. Catholics are very, very generous members of the faith. I've seen it over and over again in, in a lot of different ways, including not just here but around the world. That's a reality. I appreciate your call, Paul. Um, this, is a, this is something we need to pay attention to. I don't bring things up because I think they're just worth talking about. I think there's, there's value in this discussion. And I do hope that the decline is a trend that can be reversed. And what that would require, well, one of the ones that always comes up is a, you know, and I'm not asking for this, world war situation, uh, an event that kind of mobilizes people in the right direction in a better way. You know, one of the things that we, we saw this country come together was after 9-11. It was incredible. Support for the president, support for the country, patriotism, all that great. And then it slowly chipped away, slowly declined since that time. And I, I wonder if at, at some point we can we can reverse that. I, I hope so. Again, I'm not a person that bashes, bashes faiths or individual groups. They're all different. They're all unique. I mentioned the top five. You can uh, certainly practice your faith the way you want to. I'm concerned about the hypocrisy. I'm concerned that when a, when a entity that's supposed to be a place of faith dips its toe or even beyond that advocates for political parties or candidates, that's not supposed to be the way it works. If we allow it, then that's on us. At some point, I do believe there's going to be a crackdown. Uh, Texter, Texter makes my point exactly. It's easier to be a bully if you're not religious. Yeah. We are a country that has a fascination with bullies. If you argue about bullying in high school or bullying in politics, that's just the way it is. That's America. Really? That's how it's supposed to be? Because you're a fan of bullies? I'm in the not a fan of bullies camp. Uh, from the 414, it's very difficult to understand faith if you don't experience, experience it as a child. A lot of things are, are more difficult if you don't experience them as a child. It makes life more difficult. Uh, for the 92, I think marriage either brings people to church or not. My child married someone who does not go to church. He is taken on that way now. Now they have marriage ceremonies not in a church, but at a venue. Some are not performed by those who have gotten their license to marry others. I think faithlessness is a trend. Yeah, that's the other big part of this, the commercialization of the marriage ceremony often presided over by people who are not faith leaders. They're just, they got a certificate. Nothing wrong with that. That's the country we live in. Uh, last one before we go to break here uh, from the 414. My biggest surprise is Tim Scott's. A man of such faith and moral conduct, how do you possibly reconcile supporting the likes of the most immoral person ever run for office, Donald Trump? 
let me just say this. I don't want to make it about politics, but he embarrassed himself this week. And at some point, he's going to suffer those consequences. He looked silly and awkward. And just on his basic face value, if a person appoints you to higher office, in the case of Tim Scott, it was Nikki Haley, and you just abandon her or you cheer when another candidate belittles her, how is that being a person of faith? That's my question.